Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Um, I want to speak to you just briefly this morning. I know some of you think I don't know how to do that. I promise you I do. But I want to speak to you briefly this morning about... um, on a topic, and you know, usually uh, the way that God inspires me to teach is we take a section or we take a book on a Sunday and we, we just go through it without skipping over anything. Um, I find that's one of the most effective ways as a teacher to teach because you get the full context. And to be honest, um, you know, I've been a pastor now almost 25 years, and the first most probably the first three quarters of my ministry, I used to preach topically. And what I found was I would naturally gravitate to the things that I'm most passionate about. Nothing wrong with that, but it meant there was a lot of stuff in the Bible that I skipped over. So sometimes just picking a book and we say pick it and stick it. You just pick with the book and you stick with it and you work your way through. Uh, If you do that over time, you don't skip over everything, anything. You cover all the topics in the Bible, but every once in a while, and especially on a day like today, um, it's okay for me, so give me a little grace. We're going to speak topically this morning, and uh, I'll see if you can guess the topic, even though, well, if you read your email, you already know what it is, Um, but I want to give you a few vocabulary words. Dr. Joe already started us off with symbiosis, so let's go with some vocabulary words. I'm going to see if you know what these words mean. Does anybody know what decidophobia means? Very good. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. It is the fear of making decisions, decidophobia. Do any of you have that? Yeah, I was just going to say, some of you are like, I don't know, I'm not sure. (laughs) It was one of my favorite... um, I have a a younger sister that some of you ran into yesterday at First Fruit Farms. I didn't know she was going to be there with my niece. Um, She lives up in Pennsylvania, and she has like 50 degrees, and she's a school teacher, and um, she's just amazing. Temple University graduate. And and I remember one time, it was about a decade ago, I'd come up when we were living in Georgia. I came up for a visit. It was probably 15 years ago. And uh, she and I and her husband... We're trying to make a decision about where we wanted to go out to dinner. And she was back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I was finally like, Steph, just decide where we're going to eat. Stop being so indecisive. And like the little sister and her just buckled up and she said, I am not indecisive. Uh, Maybe I am. (laughs) So I was like, that was perfect response. All right, how about this one? Uh, And I have this one, acrophobia. Acro, A-C-R-O-phobia. I think that's agoraphobia, right? Or arachnophobia, right? Okay, acrophobia, A-C-R-O-phobia. Yes, I heard it over here, fear of heights, and I have that in spades, okay? I'm even nervous being this high off the ground, but I I just, as long as I don't get too close to the edge, I'm good. Astrophobia, A-S-T-R-A-phobia. That's all it sounds like from up here. Give me some words with it. Stars, space, we're in the right, yeah, we're in the right milieu here. Not afraid of the dark, but yeah, we're kind of in the same space. It's a fear of thunder and lightning. Yeah, okay. 
I was afraid of it as a little kid, and then my grandparents told me it was the apostles in heaven bowling. And then I thought it was cool. And then I was like, that is ridiculous. And then my nine-year-old was afraid of thunder and lightning. I told him the same thing, and it worked. So uh, when he has enough understanding to read the Bible and figures out that that's just not in there, I'm going to be in bad shape. No, I told him it's just a joke. Um, Taphophobia, T-A-P-H-O-phobia. I didn't know this was a thing, and then when I read it, I realized I have it. It is the fear of being buried alive. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that was a thing, and now I'm afraid of it. Moving on. Ergophobia, E-R-G-O-phobia. Yes, it is the fear of work. Do any of you have that? Okay, everybody's embarrassed. It's Baltimore County, and no one wants to admit to that. I'll give you one more. Gehiro, G-E-H-Y-R-O, Phobia, gehirophobia. Fear of fava beans, fear of shelling fava beans on chopped. It is the fear of crossing bridges. And you've been over the Bay Bridge on a windy day? Yeah. yeah. Too often. Yeah. So I wanted to talk briefly about what the Bible has to say about overcoming fears and phobias. Okay. Um, it's just one of these weird calendar alignment things where a holiday like Halloween falls on a Sunday. And I realize there's all kinds of different ideas about how much or how little the church or Christians should acknowledge or celebrate. And I understand all that. And there's no position that I can take where everybody's going to be happy. But I'll, uh, you know, I will tell you this. There's enough... Um, if you look at any holiday and how they're celebrated, there's probably enough secular traditions and other things that are mixed in there. Um, I don't fully understand and I can't fully embrace the part about let's scare each other for fun kind of a thing. Like I, I, can't, I can't go there, but fear is on a lot of people's minds and this holiday tends to bring that in as part of the fun, the tongue-in-cheek fun of all of it. But I want you to know the Bible has a lot to say about fear. In fact, it talks about fear 314 times. So we understand there's a lot it says about fear. I'm going to pick one passage today from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Have you heard of the book of Isaiah? What kind of, what kind of literature is it? It's prophetic. Yeah, it's prophecy. Now we've been in Acts. Do you know what kind of literature that is? Narrative story. It's stories. Now, if you're like me, and I have a, maybe you're not, okay, and maybe you shouldn't be, but if you're like me and I have a choice between reading prophetic literature and stories, I'm gravitating to the stories personally. Now, I realize there's other types of people who say, give me the prophecy. Some of you would say, give me poetry. I love poetry. Others of you say, no, nope, give me the details and the law. Give me, the, give me all the nitty granular stuff. Let me go through numbers and just dig into how many people were in the tribe audits and stuff like that. Um, prophecy has always been the most difficult genre of the Bible for me to understand personally. I am such a literal thinker. And prophecy, a lot of times they're using allegory. Sometimes they're talking about the future. Sometimes they're using similes and metaphors. Um, and you start getting into that stuff, and my brain, you start to see steam coming out the ears. It's just like, you know, we're revving the engine, and it's not in drive. Um, but I, the little bit that I want to give you about the background of Isaiah is this. It is written before Jesus came into the world. 
It was written by a man named Isaiah who functioned as a prophet. And you know what a prophet's job was in the Old Testament? What was their job? They did two things. Yes, they spoke for God after what? Exactly. Their job was to hear from God and then speak to the people. And you're thinking, well, why was that so important? Because in the Old Testament, it was not God's normal way to just speak directly to people. It's not that he couldn't or that he didn't ever, but it was very, very unusual for individuals to have any kind of a personal relationship with God. They were separated from God because of sin. They did not have the Spirit of God living inside of them. And so prophets were important because God would identify somebody. He would speak to them sometimes through dreams, sometimes through visions. Sometimes he talked to them out loud. And he would then say, okay, prophet, take this message to the people. And sometimes the prophets had good news to bring to the people of Israel. That wasn't always the case. Sometimes the prophet had bad news to bring to the people. In fact, the people didn't always look very highly upon prophets. Sometimes they got angry. How did they treat some of the prophets? Do you remember some of the stories? How did the people treat the prophets when the prophets brought bad news sometimes? They killed them, starved them, chained them. That's where the idea don't kill the messenger came from. Because it wasn't like Isaiah got up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to speak to these people for 40 chapters on how God is going to tear down the kingdom because of the sin of their leaders. No, God said, Isaiah, the leaders of Israel are sinning. They've rebelled against me and grace has run out. And so over the next few years, I'm going to tear down their kingdom through Syria and then through Babylon. And it's all their fault. Go tell them. I'd be like, God, uh, I pass. Uh, Give me a different message. But that was the first message that God gave Isaiah. The first 40 chapters of Isaiah are him. They're heavy. And they're him talking about how because of Israel's sin, destruction is coming. It's going to be complete. It's going to be total. And it's very clear it is their fault because of their sin. And God will no longer be patient. And now, as a teaching moment, he has to allow justice and punishment to come their way. But then in chapter 40, the tone changes a little bit. And now Isaiah starts talking from the future. And he starts riding through the voice of someone who's seen this destruction happen already and sees the next chapter that's going to come after the destruction. And now he starts sharing with them hope. And he says, but God will not totally abandon you. He will send to you someone, a Messiah, who will rebuild not only the kingdom of Israel, but will rebuild God's kingdom on the earth. And he brings a message of hope and a message of redemption and a message of restoration. And so with that background, I want to just share a couple verses from Isaiah chapter 41. My guess is as you hear these, they'll be familiar for you. A lot of worship songs have been written from these. A lot of teaching has been done on these verses. And I want you to just think about this. Today's message is overcoming fears and phobias. And Isaiah shows us a few practical things that we can apply to our fears our phobias, and we read them in these verses. Let me read to you verses 8 through 10 in the New Living Translation from Isaiah chapter 41. 
But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, wouldn't you like to be the guy who God calls his friend? You are. You're the guy, you're the gal. God considers you. If you're in Christ, he considers you friend. I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant. Here's why. For I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. Can you just let that sink in for you today? You didn't pick God. He picked you. He won't throw you away. And if the enemy is speaking that into your life, I want you to speak this over that. No, my God picked me. He will not cut me. He won't send me back to the minor leagues. He won't tear up the contract. My God picked me and he will not throw me away. Then verse 10, maybe you've heard this before. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will, I love the I will verses of the Bible. You have to understand who's saying this. That's the most powerful two words in the English language, I will. That's even more powerful than I want, right? I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Starts off in verse 10 saying, don't be afraid. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? Have you ever looked in the eyes of someone who's terrified and say, hey, don't be afraid. Did that ever really work? Don't be afraid. And talk about fear for just a moment. This deserves much more time than I'm going to give it. But I want to be nuanced and balanced. There are two kinds of fear, and I'll just give them the labels healthy fear and unhealthy fear. I know you're thinking, how can fear be healthy? Let me defend that for a moment. Extreme fear in the face of a real threat is healthy fear. What do I mean by that? Let me, and I'll give you the second one just to get like the contrast. Um, the, the second one, if you put it up on the screen for me. Extreme fear in the face of a minor or non-existent threat is unhealthy fear. And they both need some more skin on them that when fear is realistic and is based on the facts regarding some real threat in our lives fear can actually help us to a degree because here's how God made your body God made your body with the capacity of being afraid and there are certain I don't want to get too medical and I shouldn't because I'm a pastor not a doctor and we have doctors and PAs and nurses here who can fact check me but there's certain physiological things that happen when your body is afraid there are certain chemicals like adrenaline that are released into your system that, are, that God has put there in the face of a real threat to help you be temporarily stronger, faster, more brave in a time of real danger. For example, have you ever been to, uh, like, have you ever been in Manhattan during rush hour? Not in a car. I would never try that. But I'm talking about when you're walking down a sidewalk, give me Manhattan or, Manhattan or another street, or you could live on North Wind Road like me. And you get this close to the edge of the road and a car comes flying down the street. And you're literally 
this close to that car coming past you, there is a feeling of fear that says, if I move one more inch this way, I am going to be pizza. That impulse of fear says, I should stay away from that fast-moving car so I stay alive. That's an example of healthy fear. You know, if you see a coiled, poisonous snake six feet from you, rattling its tail and looking at you with angry eyes, there should be an impulse inside of you that says, I should not cuddle the snake. There should be an impulse that says, I should move away from this. God created us with the capacity to be afraid in the face of real threats and using that temporary fear to help us make healthy decisions that keep us responding accurately. Pastor, that just doesn't sound biblical. Well, then how do you explain, how do you explain to me Proverbs 9.10? Do you know what the beginning of wisdom is? The fear of the Lord. Paul says, work out your own salvation with Fear and trembling. There is a kind of fear that is healthy that moves us forward. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it doesn't mean that we're terrified of God like you would be of an abusive father who physically beats you, emotionally abuses you, sexually assaults you. That's not the type of fear. That's a very different fear of your father. It means I have such a deep respect for how powerful he is and for who he is that I would never want to behave in any way that would jeopardize my, jeopardize the, the climate of the relationship between us. And when you start to think that way, you're going to make better decisions. Thus, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't want my boys to be terrified of me, but I want them to respect me enough that if they're on the fence about a decision, they think, man, even though dad hasn't spelled this out, I know if I do this, he wouldn't approve. And so I'm not going to do that because I don't want to jeopardize the stasis of the relationship. So I don't want to keep beating that in the ground. I just want you to understand there is a place in our life for something that's called healthy fear. However, that's not really what we, that's not the thing that holds us in paralysis. It's unhealthy fear that really bogs us down. Extreme, extreme, uh, when the thing that we fear is unreal, we're afraid of something that just doesn't exist, or when the terror we feel is completely out of proportion compared to the actual size of the threat, like elephants and mice, right? Then the fear is unhealthy. Here's what happens. Unhealthy fear places strange and unrealistic thoughts in our mind. They trigger unhealthy physiological reactions. Things like rapid heartbeat, shallowness of breath, hyperventilation, feeling weak in your limbs, trembling, dizziness, nausea. You understand that there are some things people are afraid of that they're so terrified of it in an unhealthy way they will rearrange their life to avoid it. People who are afraid of conflict literally sometimes will move, sell everything they have and move to a different town rather than having a painful conversation. Afraid of public speaking. All kinds of different things that we fear. 
Fear of disappointing someone causes people to live disguising facts in their life in order to avoid it. We're all afraid of something. But the truth of the matter is, most of us are really deeply afraid of things that aren't really worth the amount of time and emotional energy it takes to even be afraid. The Bible constantly encourages God's children that he'll give us faith and he'll give us strength to handle any situation. And nevertheless, we're often ruled by fear rather than faith. There's probably some things you know you should do and you want to do for the Lord and for yourself right now. You know how to do it. You know what you should do and you're not doing it because you're afraid. You're afraid. For some of us, our unhealthy fears become so controlling, we develop something called a phobia. A phobia is an irrational fear that's centered on a specific kind of situation, object, or event. A phobia generally tends to be disproportionate to the potential danger. In reasoning, I will say this as someone who is irrationally afraid of heights, reasoning with a phobic person has little to no effect. Pastor, you're making this up. No, that's word for word from the Minnerthmeyer Clinic. <laughs> Intellectually, you can know your fear is ridiculous and without merit, and yet at the same time, you feel powerless to conquer your fears. Have you ever been there? I know, I know I'm blowing this out of proportion. I know that this is irrational. I know that I won't automatically fall off of a ladder every time I get up on it. And if it's only a three-foot step stool, even if I fall off, I'm going to be okay. Trust me, I've played this game with myself a million times. And yet, just the thought of getting out the step ladder and going up to try and clean the gutters, I break out in a sweat. In fact, it's happening right now. I'm going to stop thinking about it. Ultimately, many phobic people go to great lengths to avoid the provocateurs of their fears. I don't like heights, and I don't like bridges. So I don't mind, you know, when I, when I come home from vacation from the beach and I go on to Waze, if going over the Bay Bridge is two hours and 50 minutes and avoiding it is five hours, guess which one I'm going on? I'm taking the five hours around it. I know some of you are like, you poor guy. I, don't feel bad for me. At the end of the day, my fear of heights is not going to impact the quality of my life. I hope, but it does sometimes, especially for the kids riding in the car. <laughs> through Isaiah, though, through Isaiah, God gives us four reasons, because most of you, you know, you're not here trying to get a cure for your fear of heights. I'm talking about the thing you're afraid of that's holding you back from living the quality life that God has for you. Your fear of confrontation, your fear of being alone, your fear of failing, your fear of losing your job, your fear of not being able to provide your fear of being revealed, your fear of all these different practical things that are holding you back because of fear. Isaiah gives us four things in this verse. I'll give them to you real quick. He says, God is with us, which means you're not in this alone. Secondly, he says, God is our God, which means you are completely covered by the one true God. Third thing, God makes us strong, that means God has available resources to give you of strength and the all-powerful God gives you the power to both face your fears and overcome them. And number four, God helps us. You have every imaginable resource available to you. Now, the question is, if you don't believe those things, they will, those will do nothing for you. But I want to remind you, number one, God is with you. You are not alone. 
You're not alone. My four-year-old is doing better about being in a room by himself, but for a long time, he was just afraid of being alone. And he would call it, I need someone to keep me company. I need some, I know it sounds so pathetic. Will someone come and please keep me company? And it was cute for two years. And then at times it's like, dude, can you just be in a room for 30 seconds so I can, I don't know, clean up the mess you left in the last room? Like, can you just entertain yourself for a few moments? But I'll tell you, whenever that other person enters the room, the fear goes away. Because there's a sense of confidence you have when you're not standing by yourself. I want you to know whatever fear you're facing, when you go into that conversation you don't want to have, God says you're not going in by yourself, I will be with you. Oh, okay. Well, if he's here, I'm good. He is there. He's been there. You have to believe it. You have to receive it. You have to live with that level of awareness. You are not alone in that conversation. You are not alone when you're climbing up on the ladder. You're not alone on the bridge. You're not alone at work. If you lose your job, you're not alone. If you get promoted, you're not alone. You are not alone alone enemy wants to put you on an island by yourself and make you feel like you're the only one you're not god says to israel listen even though i have to punish you even though these things are going to happen i am not leaving you i'm not throwing you away you are not alone number two god is our god what he's saying is you have a covering you have the one true god of the universe who says, I am your God. He does not put his name on the losing team. And I want you to understand whatever it is that is paralyzing you today, you are completely covered by the one true God. It's like, you know, like on a day like Friday when it was pouring down rain, at least where I was. There is such a relief when you can finally get through the front door and get inside and it just stops. Why? Because I have a covering. It's still raining, but I'm not getting pounded by it because I'm covered. That's the beautiful thing when he says, I'm your God. It doesn't say you're not going to have any problems. It just says, like, just like we sang this morning, I will fight your battles. I will cover you. I will protect you. Ultimately, it doesn't mean in life we won't suffer, struggle, get hurt. But that's just in my physical body. What God is saying is you are, if you're in me and I in you, you have nothing to worry about the things that really matter eternally. I am your God. You're completely covered. Number three, God makes us strong. You have power to face and overcome things. And this is important. Isaiah wrote this in the Old Testament. Let me read to you what the New Testament says in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of, do you know the next word? fear. But God has given you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Now, this wasn't a reality in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Bible says, here's the resource I'm giving you. God says, I'm going to give each of you my spirit. In 1 Corinthians, it says, the moment you unite yourself with God in salvation, that very moment, God's spirit fuses together with your spirit. You have a brand new operating system that comes to live inside of you, and it's not an it, it's a he. 
It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not insecure. The Spirit of God does not get intimidated. The Spirit of God is not fearful or cowardly. The Spirit of God doesn't avoid conflict. The Spirit of God has all power. And that Spirit lives inside of you. And so when God says, I will make you strong, you're thinking, how? God says, through my spirit that's inside of you. And what you have to do when you're facing fear is you have to listen to the station that the Holy Spirit is broadcasting on inside of you and not to your flesh. You're going to hear two sets of voices going on. And you have to be able to discern which one is the Holy Spirit and let him sit in the driver's seat of your imagination. Let him sit in the driver's seat of your thoughts. Let him sit in the driver's seat. And then you make your own thoughts a servant to the Holy Spirit. He's going to say, here's what you should think on. Here's what I remind you of. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how you're going to behave. Here's what we're going to put things in perspective. Here's what we're going to remind ourselves of. And then we're going to live out of that, not out of your spirit of fear. We're going to live out of the Holy Spirit. God makes us strong. And then number four, God helps us. Here's a beautiful thing about getting a helper. They come shoulder to shoulder to you in the assignment and you get all of the resources they bring with you to tackle the job at hand. My four-year-old and I have a, have a mutual, you talk about a symbiotic relationship, Dr. Joe. We have a symbiotic relationship. My four-year-old is very um, strong-willed, wants to do things himself. And it takes a long time for him to ask for help. The nine-year-old starts with help, right? Just, I don't know how they both have the same genetics in them and are wired very differently, but they just are. The nine-year-old's like, eh, the simplest thing is to just ask for help first, and then if they won't come when I yell, I'll figure it out myself. The four-year-old is like, I don't want to ask anybody for help. I want to do it myself. The other day, he was trying to lift up this crate that weighed half of his body weight, and he had gotten it up off the ground. He was trying to put it away. He was trying to try to just, finally, he just defeated, Dad, Dad, can you please come and help me? Well, absolutely. Well, I come down there, and now when we're lifting it up, guess who's picking up most of the weight? I am. But here's the advantage. We're working together on something, and he sees this is a good idea because dad is stronger than me. I can just kind of put my hands on the side and look like I'm getting credit. He's really doing all the heavy lifting. We put it away, and we both get the celebration of the opportunity. God says, I will help you. Guess who's going to do most of the work? Guess whose hand is coming on? When you say, I don't want to go into this conversation, you know, this is going to be a tense conversation. God says, I will help you. Guess who's going to carry the lion's share of the work? He is. My four-year-old was not at all stressed out when he saw me put my hands on the crate. He wasn't like, oh, I don't know if we can lift it. He's like, no, dad can handle that. There's some things around the house I can't lift. I could handle that crate. There's nothing God can't lift. There's nothing God can't move. There's nothing God can't calm. And you have to come in a place where you say, I understand. I'm going to remind myself that God will help me. I don't know how to solve this problem at work. Some of you described to me the logistical challenges of things you have at work. I'm glad it's not my job. You understand that God is intimately concerned about the work he equipped you and skilled you to do, even if it's not in my field, which is ministry. He's concerned. He wants, like, if you've got to move widgets to this place, he will help you. He will speak to you. He'll he'll give you the creative ideas and solutions that you need and the courage to put them into effect. God will help you. So let me be super practical. Let me be super practical. How do you take this and make it work? The next time you feel afraid you have to be able to discern like is this like the healthy kind of fear that's like 
<laughs> okay, someone's breaking into the house or there's danger and I need this. This is, this is episodic and this feeling that I'm feeling is legitimate and real and I need the Lord to help me know what to do to act. That's one thing. Next time you feel unhealthy, fear well up. I don't want to put too much of my life out there. About a decade ago, I was diagnosed with something called social anxiety disorder. I'm a little embarrassed saying it because anytime you say this in church, especially as a pastor, you invite people to say all kinds of things back to you. I love you, but save it, <laughs> okay? I love you, but save it. It is not because of a deficiency in my faith. It's not because I don't pray hard enough. It is because I'm a broken human being, okay? And I was diagnosed with a disorder that at times I get irrational panic attacks when I'm around people socially. And I'm a pastor. So this is just not something that really works well with my job. I can't just run out of here on Sunday morning if I'm having a panic attack. That would not go well. And I just said to the Lord, and there's a whole backstory behind it and what led to that. But I just, you know, and they prescribed me medicine. And it was, you know, I would, for a while, I had to take a dose of it every day because I would have two to three panic attacks a week. My heart would beat so fast. I would hyperventilate. I would get all these irrational fears. Like I just wanted to run and hide and be by myself. And I could not calm down. I would tremble. I didn't like it. I was embarrassed by it. I couldn't mask it. I depended on medicine to be able to help manage that. But then I started putting some of these practical parts of the Bible into place. And I want to tell you, last year, 2020, I had one panic attack the whole year. Only one. And I've been off my medicine for three years. The Holy Spirit is helping me in this regard to heal me from that. Because I learned some of these things. I'm going to give you just a couple things real quick and then we'll pray. Here's just some practical tips. I'm not trying to sound TED talky. I'm not trying to sound new, way, new agey, but I want to give you scriptural reasons. This is going to sound clinical, but I want you to understand any doctor that's telling you this is just standing on the foundation of the Bible, which already points this out to us. Here's how you start overcoming your fears. First of all, try to limit fear-inducing mental input. Pastor, that sounds very clinical. Well, I'm not trying to, that does sound clinical, but you know what Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says? Whatever things are good, trustworthy, true, noble, of good report, think on these things. Do you know how that whole chapter starts off? Don't let your heart be anxious. And here's the how. You change what you think about. You have to turn the channel sometimes. And I'll give you a story at the end that'll tie it together. If you're really afraid of something irrationally, don't obsess over it. Don't spend nine hours on WebMD thinking yourself into the emergency room. Unless you really need to go, then please go, okay? But, you know, sometimes it's like you hear like, oh my goodness, I've got an itchy elbow. I better get on WebMD. Oh my goodness, it says it could be typhoid fever. And now you're like, I better Google everything I can on typhoid fever and watch every YouTube video on typhoid fever. You know, is typhoid fever fatal? And you've got yourself. Sometimes when you realize your fear is irrational and unhealthy, stop obsessing about it. Change the channel. And think about something different. I'm afraid of this conflict. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, let me play through the worst case scenario. Stop it. You're feeding the fear, not the faith. Change the channel. Same thing. Counter your fears with positive self-talk. And you're like, oh, my goodness, that's new agey. New age has taken that. But you know who invented this? The Bible. The Bible says in Romans and in Philippians, Paul says in both of those books, the way... We really change and live the optimized life is by changing the way we think. Do not be conformed to the world, but be what? 
transformed by the renewing of your mind, the way you think. As a believer, if you're going to live an overcoming life, you have to think differently than you did before you were a Christian, period. The Bible tells you how to do that. It says instead of... Basically, it says your mind can be like when you know when you go on your, your favorite streaming music of choice and you can hit the repeat button or either repeat the whole thing or just one. Don't take that. Some of you are taking the wrong song and you're hitting repeat one and it's just telling you all the time, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. I'm too big, I'm too big, I'm too big. I'll always fail. I'm ugly, I'm ugly. You got to change that and put on the Holy Spirit station. He's not talking about those things. Philippians 4, 8, and 9 give you exactly the type of content that the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you about. And if you let that station, it's just like changing the radio station at work to a different station. You you turn off the death metal station and you turn on some classical music. It's going to change the environment. Some of you are like, it's going to change it for the better. Some of you would think it's going to change it for the worse. But when you change the station that's going on in here off of the flesh and off of fear and off of the self-destruction and onto what the Holy Spirit says that I am your God, I will help you, I will give you strength, I won't throw you away, you're, most, you're my most beloved creature, you're not just a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror. You change the station. You start focusing on the Lord and the positive and the things that, you know, it's not putting your head in the sand and pretending that bad things don't exist, but God can look at the negative and still broadcast you things that can bring you joy, confidence, and hope in the worst of times. Philippians 4, 6, use prayer to relinquish your fears to the Lord. And I don't know, that you, I don't know if you've ever read that verse in context because we usually, we usually talk about half of this verse. I don't know if I have, I don't have time to dig it up to it. Don't let, or this one says, don't be anxious about anything. And you're like, oh, easier said than done. But it says, however, but in everything by Prayer and supplication make your request known to God. The Bible tells you one of the ways you don't get consumed by anxiety is you use prayer as a tool to release it to the Lord. Sometimes just getting it off your chest to the Lord is nine-tenths of the issue. And then finally, monitor your responses to fear. What do you say by that? Normally when we get afraid, we start acting and behaving based on our feelings. We take those feelings, we put the feelings in the driver's seat, and we start behaving out of control. We start behaving irrationally. We start doing things that don't really make sense. And to be honest, they're not really helping. But if you notice, fear comes and goes. It comes and it goes. And if you're aware of that, the best thing to do when you start feeling the unhealthy fear is to do the best you can to behave normally because normally our feelings follow our behaviors, not the other way around. And so even in those moments when you're feeling afraid, you ask the Holy Spirit, you just say, listen, instead of panic and running off to myself, I'm going to take a few deep breaths. I'm going to just get up, walk down the hallway, and come. I'm going to do some normal things so that that fear that always comes and goes, now that it's come, it can go. Worship team, you can come. I'll close with this story that ties them all together. I'll just give you a practical, I think a, re- a relatable, and then you can replace your fear with love because perfect love drives out all fear. I was, uh, I was in the car. I had to take a, a road trip on Friday. I had to drive up to Pennsylvania about 100 miles away to do some business up there on my day off. And I was two miles down the road and in my uh, 2007 Honda Pilot with almost 200,000 miles on it that I bought new and I've driven for f- almost 15 years, the check engine light comes on. Now, for some of you, that's no big deal. For me, that normally is like a day ruiner. Because here's historically what happens. That light comes on, 
And I don't know about you, I'm already starting to do the, oh man, how much is this going to cost me? Earlier last week, I had already done a major repair on the car because I wanted to drive on all six cylinders, not four. And so that was a comma repair. You know what I mean by a comma repair? The price had a comma in it. And those are not the fun. Repairs are the least satisfying thing to spend money on, aren't they? It's just spending a lot of money to get things back to the way you expected them to be. It's not even like you can invite your friends over and have a party and be like, hey, come see the roof that doesn't leak anymore. That's no fun, right? I'm just like, oh, that light is on again. And I could already feel my mind wanting to go down the trail it used to go down. Because I'll be honest, you can think less of me if you want. There used to be a day where if that came on, my day would be ruined. I'd be doing math in my head. I would be stressed. I'd be in spreadsheets. I'd be on car MD trying to figure out what's the worst thing that could happen when the check engine light comes on. But I'm on my way to Pennsylvania while this is on. And here's what started to just happen naturally. The first thing I did was like, you know what? Car seems fine. I'm not going to ignore this, but car seems fine. And you know what? I have a phone, and in the phone is the number of my mechanic, and he will pick up the phone when I call. I could just call the mechanic and let him know what's happening and schedule an appointment for him to take it out, which I did. That helped. But then I'm like, oh, this light. Every mile, I kept looking down at that light, hoping that it would go away, hoping that it would go. I'm feeding this fear. So you know what I did? I took an index card. I just put it on the dashboard over that part. Now it left the speedometer up there. I just saw so I didn't have to look at it because I found that every time I looked at it, it was just, oh, I just, you know what? Nope, I'm not going to do that. Then I had a talk with myself. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had an argument with yourself? You're like, how many of you are in there? You know, no, I'm just kidding. I just said, you know what? Here's what I said. We have saved up a little bit every month and we'll need to do it a couple more years to buy a new car. There is money in a savings account to pay for a repair. Calm yourself down. Just stop it. You've practiced biblical budgeting, and because of that, this crisis is not really a crisis. You are prepared for such a crisis. And it's like, okay. But I don't like taking money out of savings. I just like looking at the number and knowing that it's there, and then the Lord had to deal with that. Because Proverbs talks about that. You know, when you're that mindset, the more that you have the more you feel like you need to have in order to be safe because you put your trust in money. That's a different servant. Just show that you put your trust in money, not in biblical budgeting. So anyway, we had that moment. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this ruin my day. Here's the thing. Here's the few things I like about Fridays. I get an hour and a half of road time, me and the Holy Spirit. So I was like, you know what? I literally turned on, this, you know, turned on the station. I turned on my Maverick City music, uh, worship music, and I had the most awesome next hour just enjoying the Holy Spirit. Totally forgot about the thing. Left the index card on there the whole way home. I had a great day on Friday. I had a great day. I've got an appointment on Monday at 11.30, and then I took the index card off this morning. Check light, engine light is gone. But I'm not trusting that. I'm taking it in there anyway. What are you saying? I put those things into practice. I didn't obsess over the light. I just pretended like it wasn't there. Even though it was, I just moved on. I countered my fears with like, look, there's money in the bank. I can call the mechanic. The car is running okay. I'm safe. We can fix this. I used prayer to relinquish my fear to the Lord. I had a talk with myself where the Holy Spirit said, listen, let's just calm it down. We're not going to let this ruin the day. And then I, I focused on my behavior, not my feelings. And I just said, you know, what's something I normally do in behavior at this point? I turned on the worship music. I got back to enjoying the trip. And just like that, the whole atmosphere changed. 
I'm telling you, this works. Trusting God works. God works. He will help you. You are not alone. He is with you. He has resources for you and you're covering if, if, if his spirit lives in you. Does his spirit live in you? Have you said yes to God's invitation to come into his kingdom? Have you taken him up on his free gift that he offers you through grace, by faith in Jesus? If not, I want to invite you to take him up on that invitation right now. Let me pray over you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? If you're ready to come into God's kingdom and you want to say yes to his invitation, you want to surrender control of your life to the Lord. You want forgiveness from your sins. You want to be in right relationship with God through Jesus. You recognize that you're a sinner, that you're deserving of God's judgment, but you're ready for change. And you believe in Jesus. You believe he is who he says that he is. You believe that he has paid off your debt and that he makes forgiveness available free for you. Then today I want you to just turn to the Lord and put your faith in him. I want to encourage you to just join me. If that's the truth of your heart, I want you to come into God's kingdom if that's what you want today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you believe it with all your heart, pray it along with me. God will hear your prayer. He will forgive you for your sins. He will release to you his spirit that will come and live inside of you. And he will change you forever from the inside out. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I am sorry. I'm ready for change. Jesus, I confess I have faith in you. I believe you are the real son of God. I believe you lived the sinless life I should have lived, but I haven't. I believe you paid my debt on my behalf when you hung on the cross and you died for me. I believe God accepted your payment on my behalf because you rose from the dead the third day. You're alive again. You defeated death. And I believe by putting my hope and faith in you, you will forgive me, you will transform me, and you will raise me to eternal life to spend eternity with you. You are the Lord. I surrender control of my life to you. Welcome, Holy Spirit. I invite you to live in me, to change me, to fill me, and to make me into the person you always imagined I can be. In your name I pray, amen. Keep your eyes closed just for a moment. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God heard it, you are saved. You don't have to do another thing. The joy you're feeling right now is a manifestation of the party heaven is having over you. I just want to invite you to do one more thing, and it's not a requirement. It's just totally optional. But it's something we love to do here at Echo, and several dozen people, over 30 people have done what I've asked you to do in the last few months. But I'm going to count to three, and if you prayed that prayer with me, just slip up a hand, make eye contact with me. You can put your hand right back down. I just want to celebrate with you, give you a moment to make this tangible. If you prayed that prayer with me, just slip up a hand, make eye contact, put your hand back down. One, two, three. Anybody at all this morning pray that prayer with me? Awesome. Thank you. God bless you. Wonderful. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God.
church family, if you're willing and able, will you stand with us this morning? Will you just stand all over the congregation? Our prayer team is coming. We're going to spend just another five or six minutes together this morning. Here's what we're going to do. First and foremost, I want you to be able to identify. Most of us are afraid of something. And most of us are afraid of something that's probably not worth the amount of emotional energy we're currently spending on it. You've received the truth of the word this morning. I want you to take it and I want you to apply it to that fear today. I want you to almost like you're taking a decal, take the word of God and just cover over that fear today and let God cement that in your heart over these next few minutes. If you like, our prayer team is here on my left and on my right. If you'd like prayer as the team leads us in a a song of worship, I invite you to come down and find any one of these prayer team members and they'll be happy to pray with you about anything at all that's going on in your life. Just walk right up to them and tell them how they can pray for you. They're ready, able, willing to serve you in that capacity. There's communion elements here. If you would like to receive communion, you're welcome to come down and and take those elements and receive communion. Um, And then the last thing that we're going to do all at one time is is we're going to receive our our, our offerings as an act of our worship. So let me pray over this congregation, pray over our time of offering together, and then the team's going to lead us. And when we sung this song, Pastor James will come and dismiss us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for giving us strength. Thank you for overcoming. Thank you for doing the work for us and fighting our battles for us. Lord, help our weak faith to believe that today, to actually get the full impact of that by just accepting that as truth and living out of that as our reality today. Lord, we do pray over the offerings that we're going to give you this morning, Lord, that you would look down and see our hearts today and that you'd be honored and pleased by our obedience, our sacrifice, our generosity, and how we give of our finances, that first portion we give to you through the local church, to our missionaries, and to our work that we do here in this community. Father, help us to continue to expand your kingdom footprint in this area by applying tangible resources to spiritual ministry. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the lion and the lamb. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.